0: welcome to the why on earth community podcast i'm your host aaron william perry and today we're visiting with nisha mary paulos the executive director of regenerative rising hey nisha hey
1: aaron it's so good to be here
0: yeah it's great to visit with you and i'm so glad we could catch you in person while you're visiting here in Colorado uh, instead of being over in India, in which case we would have had to Zoom together.
1: Yes, absolutely. I'm just so, so grateful and uh, awed at the way we met and that this whole thing materialized. I'm, I'm so grateful and it's so exciting to do this in person.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And a huge thanks and shout out to Artem and Ignacio and Jordan and all our friends at Earth Coast Productions who essentially facilitated us meeting um we'll mention earth coast again a little later on nisha mary paulos is the executive director of regenerative rising a 100 women-led organization devoted to elevating and forwarding regenerative principles that expand the capability of people to lead from a living systems worldview she is an award-winning architect and regional planner whose career at the confluence of human habitat planning and the environment now spans fifteen years and four countries. Her regenerative focus has been the guiding force behind her work, as is the deep bond she shares with nature. She's also the founder of Woven Design Collaborative, a spatial design and planning firm which we'll talk about. And in 2015, she won an award from the Prime Minister of India for her ideas on how smart cities in that country can solve critical problems. She founded a multidisciplinary spatial planning and design firm in India, which we mentioned, and is part of the South Asia Bioregionalism Working Group and co led a research project that produced a bioregional map of India. She is also a co convener for the Indian National Trust for Art and Cultural Heritage whom she supports with strategic visions and action plans for integrated regional development to preserve human and natural heritage with regenerative livelihoods and native wisdom at the center. She did her architecture in India before being selected for Erasmus Mundus program in Europe where she gained two advanced degrees, a master in science, uh, international cooperation in urban development and a master of science, urbanism, habitat and uh, international cooperation. She grew up in Kotjyam, a small town in Kerala, the southwestern coastal state in India, known for its natural and cultural heritage and abundant tropical biodiversity, which we're going to talk about as well. And Nisha, I'm just, I'm so thrilled that we have this opportunity to visit in person. And uh, it's amazing to me that uh, you're now in a new position of leadership for Regenerative Rising, which has already been doing so much wonderful work here in Colorado and more broadly. And uh, maybe to kick things off, you could just share with us a bit about what Regenerative Rising is up to and what you're you're in, in your new role of executive director, what you're doing and planning for the organization.
1: Yeah, absolutely, thank you. Um, yeah, it's been such an exciting journey for me, uh, especially this last year exploring this new sort of scape and landscape and conversations and perspectives about regeneration. And um, as the new executive director of Regenerative Rising, I have had I've been now here in the U.S. for a month and a half. Uh, it started with the Expo West, which was <laughs> an uh, an experience and. Incredible because I've met so many people who I've just been seeing on Zoom all this while and made so many connections. Um, yeah, what we we have a lot of things ex- uh, planned for the year. It's all exciting. Um, I'm really uh, embracing this this bridging of the worlds in a in a in a way for me because uh, from where I'm coming from and what's going on in the U.S. and to be part of this movement and have all these allies. And I must say that the regenerative community and uh, all the allies are so kind and warm mm. and open. And that's just, its I, it just feels so great to be part of it.
0: Mm, that's so wonderful. Yeah, I love focusing on the theme of kindness and coming from the heart with all that we're doing. And you, you and I, we were chatting before the recording about the importance of that perhaps non-linear and not necessarily like pure logical orientation when we're moving from the heart when we're collaborating from the heart and and perhaps even opening ourselves for inspiration from nature regarding the regenerative work we're being called to do and of course the the logic the rational the plans the tools the nuts and bolts these are all very important but it's it's not all about that only, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, so we mentioned living systems worldview, right? And that I think is where uh, the, where I meet the organization in, in, in uh, the way we uh, em- embody this movement for ourselves. So uh, it's, when we're speaking of a living systems worldview, it's basically living systems are so deeply interlinked. Um, it's such a such a big part of the consciousness of the planet that, and it's interlinked to the consciousness of every being within it and uh, I I really choose to use the word being um, instead of like living things because you know the word living has also been sort of specifically defined but everything has life, all our beings like the mountains and rivers and um, so that is a big part of how uh, when we're talking about complexity as as a species that is part of this planet, uh, we also have access to the consciousness of the planet and that's something I really believe in. Um, and over the last few hundreds of years, I think the systems we set up uh, across the world have broken a lot of these connections. And it's really interesting to me to observe how sometimes we're trying to solve these very um, heart uh, and consciousness-related problems in a very logical way. And like you're saying, yeah, absolutely, we need all these tools and it's a big part of it, but we also need this because otherwise the logic and the intellectual aspect of it is not really meeting the heart of the matter. Um, And when we're saying living systems, worldview, and regeneration, these are the two things that sort of really deal with the mindset and your way of inhabiting this planet.
0: I absolutely love this wisdom, and actually, it's it's one of the the core themes woven into my my new novel Veritas, which I was sharing uh, about with you recently. And um, that that deep connection of the I, I like to call it AI, the authentic intelligence of nature, and uh, as leaders, as executives, as organizational leaders, for me personally, it feels increasingly imperative that we're personally connecting with nature on a, on a deep and regular basis. And I'm curious uh, what that looks like for you, knowing that that's, that's been a really important part of your experience since you were a kid. What does that look like and how do you weave that in with all the busy goings on uh, responsibilities you have as an executive director?
1: yeah thank you for that question it's a it's a very interesting thing for me to talk about um so you know i grew up in in the southwestern coast of india in a in, in a small town but with which was rich in biodiversity um it's it's tropical and it's abundant and i spent a lot of time in my childhood really connecting with nature um, like I I spent my time sitting on top of trees and you know like doing really strange things like running through the rocks and uh, and that was really a big part of playtime and entertainment and uh, also things like processing things that you process as a teenager or as a young person I was really closely I had a relationship with nature and I always I always feeling protected by nature and that's what gives me a lot of um, Uh, courage to do a lot of things that i know that i'm protected and Mm. what that protection means is not the same as what protection probably means in mainstream the way we we think of it but i just feel like nature is on my side uh, always <laughs> and it's yeah. it's a it's the way I really connect with the Earth, and a lot of my work is really very technical and scientific, so to speak. um you know we're like we're doing strategic plans or we're thinking of the vision or we're planning a conference, and all of this has a lot of you know we're really fitting into the the system and trying to uh, do certain things like but then I keep connecting back in these ways uh in small ways where when I, when I get stuck, um, where, you know, like we were saying, that logic is not meeting the needs of the heart and mm. then there's that disconnect. Um, these are the ways I really kind of in, bring myself to uh, go to, to embrace things I don't understand. And I think that's been my biggest learning from nature that we don't need to understand everything. We don't need to know every secret. Some secrets are not meant for us. And there's so much power in just being able to be comfortable with not knowing what's going to happen or not knowing how something works. And I think uh, for me, when I go into that space in my mind, um, I'm able to intuitively um, react to certain things in other parts of my life. Mm -hmm. And that's, and that's, Um, I think that's something that I've learned over the years of grounding myself and I'm sure everybody has their own way but um, that's my way of using my this I think at the end of the day it boils down to this that I have this faith that nature is my friend and I'm protected and that really helps me do things um, more bravely show up in different ways explore new things take take different risks um, and also keep grounded.
0: Absolutely, I absolutely love this. Um, and I'm just jotting a few quick notes down. And I I want to go um, out on a bit of a limb here because uh, what you're speaking to resonates with me in in such a profound way. Going back, you know, to my early childhood and experiences I had in the woods in the Pacific Northwest and. I've, since I can remember, have felt being in nature is a place of comfort and security. And almost instantly, even if I'm dealing with something extremely stressful, um, when I step out to the woods or go somewhere where it's not buildings but natural vista that I can look at, um, I notice that stress dissolves and a certain set of intuitive insights and quiet, quieting of the mind and other things just happen. And I'm really struck. It seems to me that a lot of the folks who have gravitated thus far to the regeneration movement as it's emerging worldwide, uh, one way or another, have this intimate connection with nature. And I have plenty of other friends and colleagues who would not necessarily describe nature as a place of comfort and safety and protection. In fact, some of my friends would say that they don't feel safe in nature. And so I'm wondering like at a deeper sort of psycho psychological or maybe even psycho-spiritual level, um, and and a lot of scholars have spoken about nature deficit disorder and the eco-psychology movement has been really important these last 20 years. And I'm curious uh, if there's something that can be cultivated. And for many of us, the blessing of this in childhood is a beautiful thing to be grateful for, but maybe for others, there's a way we can help cultivate this sense of connectivity that I think opens us up to something in the way of solutions and what's possible and what's real here on planet Earth that isn't necessarily otherwise that apparent to people. Mm
1: -hmm. Thank you for sharing that story uh, from your life and your childhood to me, it's just so beautiful. Um, you know, as you were saying this, I was thinking, I think, I think there is a kinship mm-hmm. that we're developing with nature.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And if we have to do this work that we're doing at whichever capacity, it, it's a big burden in some ways. Mm. It's a heavy load to carry. Mm. And I think that kinship is in sharing that burden with nature. And I think maybe that's where you were saying your stress is dissolving. And I feel that too. It's like, okay, you're not alone in this. It's not a small community. There is this planet that's supporting it. Yeah. And that's really, I think, I think, and 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 I'm sure you relate to this. When we're talking about, uh, when I'm talking about like being close to nature, I have a health I'm scared of it as well oh, yeah, I have yeah. a healthy respect for it right like <laughs> you know there are insects that can bite you but I think the the big component of that relationship is to be aware to observe to understand boundaries and that's the same way you know hmm. we cultivate human relationships you have to have boundaries and you have to have healthy boundaries you have to understand where the other person is coming from and that's just I look at nature like that as as an as a being yeah. I'm connecting with. Yeah. How do I maintain those boundaries yeah. so that we can support each other? Um, but also, how do we share this burden? Um, and that's, to me, a, a way of thinking yeah. that maybe can be a pathway towards building this connection when you... Yeah. And again, I think that's where a lot of practices, like spiritual practices, Whatever type of meditative practices, grounding practices, the entire diversity of of those practices also help because when you're in that space, you 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 are able to connect. And we're, you know, I mean, and you mentioned mm. your book, and that's so exciting. I can't wait to read it. <laughs> um, but we're talking about, you know, intelligence, this deep sure. intelligence, and we're talking, the, the world is talking about artificial intelligence. That's mm. so exciting yeah. for mm. most people. But then, I think when you start, if if something like technology can have that intelligence, the earth can have that intelligence and more, it's older, yeah. it's deeper. Yeah. Uh, it has seen beings that we, we don't even know whether, we, we, can, we don't even know what beings existed, right? Like we have some records, but there's so much history, so much knowledge, so much wisdom. So I think that that relationship is exciting. and if, and the idea of like tapping into that consciousness, yeah. um, which is basically you have to go into your own mm. uh, heart or your inner sort of voice, and and then that that connection is there. It's already there. We we don't have to uh, invent it or discover it. It's there, and it's just about being having the faith. I think that it's there, um, and seeing what like. People, I feel like everybody has their own way of connecting with nature, like mm. for some people it's through the seeds, through the mountains, it's through insects, it's, it can be through your pets, mm. um, whichever way that as, as you find it, it, that's the way, you just have to have that faith that even if you don't understand the sentience of this being, it's still there, mm. we've just not figured out a way to understand it yet.
0: That's so beautiful yeah hmm Hey. yeah this is uh, got my heart singing right now and I love it I really appreciate the wisdom that you're that you're sharing I'm curious um, if you're in in the the facilitation of design collaborative work or design charrettes or whatever it might be and you're sensing that maybe folks haven't had that deep connection with nature quite yet. And sure, I like how you're bringing in pets and some of the other ways we might personally relate to this. Uh, I'm wondering, do you have any, you know, practices or offerings or or invitations, trailheads that you provide folks to kind of step in that direction?
1: The one, you know, from from my experience, in different parts of my life, different things have worked, you know? So, I actively sort of embrace this idea that there is no one truth or one pathway.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that it's very personal. Um, and for me, and as you were sharing with you, it came from childhood experiences. And, mm-hmm. and I think I'm so grateful that for me, that was, that was what I had access to as a child.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but depending on where you are, in your life right and what is around you um, I think that pathway could be really really personal and really specific Mm -hmm. but for me what has really worked is observation and Mm. not just going into the wild and sitting there observing because then it can get overwhelming but like just using just sort of projecting Ideas like you know, like how you how you how people do how you do people watching, right? <laughs> like you go to a mall and watch other people, and you're like, oh, I wonder if they're having a fight or. Whatever. I think if you s- use that same energy and you watch nature, like oh, I wonder what those birds are doing, you yeah. know, and that's a way for us to connect. I mean, not about projecting our thoughts and emotions onto that, like to be aware of that, you know. But it's I really find, and that's something again that I did. As a family, my entire family, we're all like that. Uh, we, we really we name everything, um, and then we talk about it, and we have stories around it. And sometimes we don't even know if it's the same bird that's coming every day, but then there's a whole story that you're weaving around it. But that really enables you to connect, yeah. you know. And uh, and I just want to say that it's not about putting human uh, tendencies and emotions mm. into that. It's just about just. You, I mean, when you're doing people watching in a mall, you know that it's your story that you're projecting on someone else and you're doing something fun and hmm. killing time or whatever. But I think that's similar practices really help, help kind of understand uh, the sentience that is out there.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and I love that it, it evokes this sense of playfulness, right? And, and I think so often, especially when we're deep in the technical side of some of these issues that we're engaged in, that that playfulness can depart for a little while and and i think consciously bringing that back to the fore is brilliant right yeah
1: yeah 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 i mean like like i was saying it sometimes the burden is a lot you're trying to you're trying to solve a planetary level problem (laughs) and as individuals or even as communities still we're you know your locus of control is not that much Mm. and actually we're up against a lot of forces Mm. Um, of power and money and reach which, you know, actually we're not even fully aware of, right? Mm. But I think that's where the practice of sharing with nature Mm. really helps, you Mm -hmm. know, because then you suddenly like it's not just my burden to carry like and it's not just for me to know everything, right? If And it's to be comfortable. Okay, I don't know how to solve this Mm. and and then hand that over
2: Hmm.
1: and say help me like Mm -hmm. i do that Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. when i'm overwhelmed Mm -hmm. i always say that just help me like i'm doing this i'm doing the best i can but i need help and it comes it comes in different ways like it comes in kindness from a stranger, it comes, ugh, like, seeing a cat. Like, for me, that's, that's such a part of my, <laughs> like, what I, like see, or, or seeing a squirrel, and sometimes it could be just me interpreting whatever I want to do, but it appears, and and that sharing of this the burden really, mm-hmm. really enables me to stay grounded.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so beautiful and so powerful. I uh, often tell folks when they, ask who do you work for or whatever, I say I work for Mother Earth, actually. <laughs> and I've felt this way a very long time. And and yeah, she. Uh, I think she's happy that more and more of us are responding to this call to work in service, to the regeneration, the healing, the stewardship, the care of the people, of the, all these various creatures and beings. And I love your, your use of the term being. I think that's one I'm probably gonna carry forward and share with others uh, down the road.
1: Yeah. That- I, I, yeah
0: I'm so glad that it resonates and uh yeah <laughs> yeah l- listen i I want to ask you too, you know, maybe for some of our audience, um the idea, the word, the concept of regeneration is a bit newer, and I'd love to hear you know you describe what it what it means for you in the context of the work you're doing, especially with Regenerative rising, and also if you would share a bit with us about what the organization is doing, you know, in the next nine months and how you guys are uh, helping to facilitate and activate this thing that's emerging.
1: Yeah, yes, absolutely. I'm excited to say that. Well, you know, regeneration, it's you're right, it's it, the word is getting a lot of attention and prominence um, today. And um, I like to keep it for myself as well, to keep going back to what is the real intent behind the word, because it's a word, and uh, hmm. it's an English word. Hmm. Uh, so it it's it, it's meaningless, actually, the word itself to the majority of the people in the world, hmm. actually. but but there is a lot of importance attached to the word. So I like to go beyond the word. And, I, and and for myself I keep reminding myself that the intention is what we really need to hold on to. Um, and regener- like in, in the in the definition of it, like regeneration is basically the it's a natural process. Mm-hmm. It's as old as the earth itself. Mm-hmm. Like our cells regenerate, you know. Um, and, and if you if you just like type in regeneration it actually leads you to the medical world which yeah. talks about like how to regenerate organs and stuff right so basically i mean regeneration is in a way in a house how a being or part of it uh comes back to its full functional capacity mm-hmm. right and its true purpose but it need not look the exact same as it did before ecosystems mm-hmm. regenerate um, rivers, forests, uh, you know, regeneration is is really a part of nature. And indigenous communities and ancient communities across the world really, really um, understand that this is a part of of life and we have a role to play in that, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, So so that's, when we're talking about regeneration in this context, um, it's about looking at the system as a whole, Mm -hmm. and it's today that system is removed from the natural system there is a human system which is built at the attempt to dominate Mm -hmm. and then there's the rest of the planet Mm -hmm. right so when we're talking about regeneration we're talking about how can there be reconciliation healing and I know that healing is a word that is close to you as Mm well Uh, it's about reintegration right and so when we're looking at the larger system and thinking, what is the true purpose of it, and how does it all come back together, to embody and fulfill that entire function and purpose? So you know, and and we can talk about it in different ways. Like there's economic regeneration, mm-hmm. and we're talking about regenerative work environments, uh, regenerative food systems, uh, and all of this really means. At, what is the entire? What is the full? Capacity and capability of the system, mm-hmm. and how do we as humans steward that back into its full glory, so to speak, mm-hmm. right? And 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 um, there could, depending on the region, depending on the people, depending on the uh, context, the climate, the, the the history, regeneration could mean different things, um, in in terms of what the actual steps are, and. That is something that I have, I am observing that is emerging that there are camps, right? Mm-hmm. Who are like, oh, we're doing regenerative, we're doing sustainable, we're doing organic, and um, and I get that because there is an entire system of certifications and processes and frameworks and definitions that are coming into the picture, and there is a, um, a a very practical need because again we're working within the same system for. Organizations or people to embrace one particular concept, um, but I think as regenerative rising, what we want to encourage is that we come together and hold the intentionality, mm. whatever we're calling it. You know, what you want to call it regenerative, you want to call it something else. Is the purpose of the work to to be more earth centric? Is to support life? Mm. Is it to support Health of systems,
2: mm.
1: including human communities. Um, so, at whichever, whichever level you are in that process, whichever step you are at, whichever angle, which is your point of entry, all of that only means we need to come together and work together because that's how nature works. Mm-hmm. There are different ways. There are different ways that things fit together, and then it just—that's complexity, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So. Um, and what's you know, and this is something that we want to integrate into our conference, which is coming up in uh, in November. It's so on eighth and 9th of November. We have the Regional Earth Summit, and this is something that the uh, organization is really known for, and is uh, and the uh, the RES uh, is really embraced by a lot of organizations who have been part of this movement in different ways. It's always been a space for collaborations to emerge, new imaginations, um, you know, like new connections. And uh, this year, we are bringing the food and the fashion sectors together. Great,
0: two of my favorites.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you know, both of it is relying on on the earth in different ways. Yeah. Like, you know, and and the idea is to have pre-competitive conversations to de-risk the supply web, so to speak, and just to you know. Take the jargon out of it and speak a little bit more about it. We're we're dealing with a lot. We're dealing with a system that is degenerative, mm-hmm. with, which is also is quite powerful and and it is it's very pervasive, um, and it's a it a, a lot of farming communities. Most farming communities, I would say, are really impoverished today. So that's one big aspect of it, like human well-being. But then there's also the well-being of the earth that we have to consider, and. There is a significant amount of work by so many different organizations at doing it, working tirelessly, working towards solving this in their own supply chains for the world, and whatever the focus, it, all this work is happening. But if, if so the intent, intent is there, but how do we bring these same intent, but two different processes to come together so that you support each other? And we also have to like keep in mind that um, this is a time when there is climate change. Mm-hmm. There is, There are weather patterns are changing. Soil patterns are changing. Um, and even if we want to be regenerative, we have to still accept that there are changes. The earth is, it do, go, is going through a period of rebalancing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So if we are beings of the earth, we have to adapt and remain agile. So certain pieces of land which supported a particular type of crop or a particular fruit or does not support that anymore, maybe. So how do we stay agile? How do we support everybody across the supply web? And that's something we want to collaborate on Mm -hmm. at a leadership level at the summit. We also want to speak about, you know, when going past, you know, certifications, specifications, frameworks, I I don't, very important, Mm -hmm. very important and, and coming from very great places of what it wants to achieve, but how do we all talk together about it, right, depending on whichever, uh, whichever corner you've chosen. And how do you empower your story? That's the other part yeah. that we want to speak about. We want to really see how do we look at this true story of the product and give access to the customer, to that story. Um, and that being the way somebody can make a choice in a supermarket or wherever. Um, so, we want to engage with uh, organizations and who have developed tools or platforms or data sets, um, everything from AI to, um, you know, like whatever else is out there, um, and to bring that into the experience of the conference as well, mm. right? We want to have So the venue itself we chose is like that, where we have spaces Hmm. where we can maybe set these things up with different different kind of tools, and we generally have leaders from various organizations, uh, global organizations, attending this, and that's a great time for people to engage with it. And one of the deeper reasons is also because the regenerative community just like you know, 15, 20 years ago, sustainability was the best word. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was the same problem at that time. There, there's a divide. Like, people who are mm-hmm. engaging deeply with the Earth are not engaging with technology. And that's a bridging that we also want to do because mm-hmm. AI also needs to have these thoughts into mm-hmm. it. Like if, if So this is also a way to inform the development of technology. If this need mm-hmm. is there, then technology mm-hmm. will align. So we're having these these sort of three things, which seem kind of diverse, but actually mm-hmm. it's also really really aligned to come together, and really talk about what does this collaboration look like, and how do we at this level look at all of these things, access all the tools and information we have to support the well-being of all well-being of all beings, mm-hmm. uh, human communities, natural. I mean ecosystems, wildlife, all of that um, across the supply web
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and
1: it's not something that one organization can do alone, Mm -hmm. however much the intention is there, it can only be powerful when we band together and support each other.
0: Yeah, absolutely love this and I'm so excited. And It's very much the way the ecosystems function and it's as if what I'm gathering uh regenerative rising is is uh, functioning at least on one level similarly to how the mycelial networks function in the forest and soil ecology which is something that why on earth community is also doing and a few others that are uh in our network and cohort that are sort of organizations of organizations and uh, i i absolutely love it and i love the way you're speaking the wisdom into this space with the the technical tools and processes that you're also offering the community. And I wanted to just mention that, so the conference is in Colorado, right? In November?
1: Yes, yes, it's mm-hmm. in Denver uh, on the 8th and 9th of November, 2023.
0: Excellent, yeah, that's really exciting. Um, and I hope many of our audience will be able to participate and or enjoy some of the outcomes of that, uh, that gathering. And i'm i'm really curious let me just mention this that folks if you'd like to get tickets by the way you can go to regenerative rising.org right you'll ha- you'll have tickets yes. there and um while i'm at it let me also mention that you can find both nisha and regenerative rising on instagram and linkedin um nisha mary uh palos and regen underscore rising on instagram and then on LinkedIn, it's the same for Nisha, Nisha Mary Palos, and then it's regenerative-rising for the handles there. Um, and yeah, there's a, a specific web page for the Regenerative Earth Summit that we'll include in the show notes that you can find at regenerativerising.org. Um, is there anything you'd like to add to those resources real quick while we're on that?
1: Uh, no, I mean, that's, that's uh, our website has all the information. Um, about tickets and it's we early in the conference design, but the agendas and speakers and other information will be updated. Um, you can take a look at the previous uh, so, uh, in, uh, you know, previous events uh, past events page to see what it has been like. And we're really happy to collaborate with the people who have intentionality. and uh, we want a lot of support. We're looking for a mm-hmm. lot of support. Uh, from communities out there. We're a nonprofit. Uh, we are actively looking for sponsorships as well. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we're in that phase of the organization as well because mm-hmm. there was a big transition um, between Celine Diarras, who was a founder and executive director, and now I'm the executive director. And we're taking this as part of our. Um, Our our next phase like Regenerative Rising has always been inclusive of Mm. communities from across the world, voices Mm. from uh, across the world and even in the U.S. and different cultures and different perspectives. But uh, in this next phase we also want to take Regenerative Rising to other parts of the world. So uh, we really want want that support Mm -hmm. um, to be able
3: to do that.
0: That's absolutely wonderful. And let me ask this too. Um, if folks want to support financially, can they go to regenerativerising.org and make a donation? Is that one of the ways to yes, yes. help out? Yeah, okay, yeah, that, Or
1: they can write to me, um, yeah. nisha at regenerativerising.org and we can take it from there. But then yes, it's available on the website as well.
0: Excellent, yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, I really encourage all of you to consider supporting regenerative rising at some level. And on that note, that'll be a segue to thank some of our sponsors who make this podcast series possible. Um, And that includes, of course, Earth Coast Productions, Uh, And we've got behind the camera, we've got Ignacio here in the room with us, shout out to Ignacio and uh, Jordan and Artem and Rachel and others on the team uh, making so much possible with the Why on Earth community and also many other organizations in the space. And of course, this is how we met Nisha, so um, we know that uh, Earth Coast is also doing a lot of work with Regenerative Rising and want to give a big shout out to Chelsea Green Publishers. Uh, We now have a very special partnership with Chelsea Green and are doing a number of episodes interviewing different authors who are focused on issues of regeneration, stewardship, health and wellness. And as part of this partnership, uh, you can use the code YOE35 to get a 35% discount on any of the books and audiobook offerings that you'll find at Chelsea Green. Um, We'll include the links and so on in the show notes. And you can always go to the whyonearth.org website and go to the partners and supporters page to find Chelsea Green and many of our other uh, supporters and partners and get discounts and uh, special uh, wonderful gifts and offerings from many of them. Uh, So, Chelsea Green, that's great. Also, Waylay Waters, the regeneratively and biodynamically grown hemp-infused aromatherapy soaking salts. This is one of the social enterprises we stood up through the Wine Earth community. All the proceeds go to the nonprofit. Um, Of course, Dr. Bronner's, who are doing so much in the regenerative uh, space globally and now have chocolate in addition to soaps and other offerings. And uh, if you're interested, you can join the Why on Earth Communities Ambassador Network, which is growing and worldwide. Community Impact Ambassadors, we call it. And so you too can join the CIA if you're interested. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we have many of our ambassadors and others supporting the Y on Earth community through our monthly giving program. And if you haven't yet joined that and you'd like to, you can go to yonearth.org, click on the uh, support or donate page and set it up at whatever level works well for you. If you choose to give it the $33 level or greater, we'll send you one or more jars of the Whaley Water soaking salts each month. Um, so not only is that a great way to thank you for your support and Uh, to help out with the podcast series and everything else that we're doing it's also a wonderful way to get in the practice of even greater self-care habituation with those soaks they're amazing for our mind body and spirit and uh, so yeah we've got uh, so many other wonderful supporters and collaborators you can check out on the website and um I wanted, to, I wanted to ask, too, because I noticed that with uh, Regenerative Rising, um, one of the things you guys talk about and feature is that it is a 100% um, women-led organization, which to me is really quite interesting, and I'm absolutely uh, convinced that, archetypally speaking, the uh, the emergence and rebalancing with the divine feminine and with women's roles in our communities, our families, our society, and our planet is really important in this emerging movement. And of course, in indigenous traditions, there are a variety of mechanisms and cultural patterns that uh, have had virtually all of our backgrounds engaged in a, in a balanced, uh, format between the male and the female and that's one of the things that's been substantially disrupted over the last several hundred years and even several thousand years depending on how we're looking at it and I'm just curious if you might share with us a bit about uh, what that means why that's important how that affects your work your approach to networking and collaborating what does it mean within the organization that it's hundred percent women led
1: yeah, I mean, we're right now a small organization and um, so it was set up as, you know, set up by a woman, Celine Díaz, who's our founder, with a completely women board yeah. and it was for essentially, this is one of the intents, to bring the power of the feminine mm-hmm. back into this conversation, back into the systems. Because if we want this change that we want to see, we need to come back with Ways of balancing the system, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the systems today are heavily patriarchal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, it is a reason why it is like that. And every human being has the feminine and the masculine mm-hmm. in it, but our system is really oriented to empower and support and sort of forward masculinity only.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's something that, as an organization and as a mission that we want to rebalance mm-hmm. um, so we as part of the organization and our processes it's it's we really about bringing the feminine mm-hmm. right about uh seeing that that side of things and when we're talking about things like reconnecting at a consciousness level with nature there is a lot of Feminine in that it's like mm-hmm. when we're talking about Mother Earth, when we're talking about Gaia, or however you want to phrase it, it is really the feminine. Mm-hmm. It is and so it, the system that we're seeing today, which is, which is really destroying the earth, it really makes sense, right? Like if if you're just women are being oppressed and suppressed and like abused across the world, mm-hmm. in, and then nature. Which yeah. even the patriarchal system c- continues to embody as a woman is also being oppressed, and extracted and exploited. So, we just believe that we if we we want to rebalance it, mm-hmm. we have to rebalance the masculine and the feminine, and that's why we've we embrace the hundred percent women-led um, as a part of the ethos of the organization, um, and. You know, I mean, I, I just want like, oh, I come from a culture which is extremely matrilineal, actually. Mm-hmm. Although mm-hmm. today's day and age we're no less p- patriarchal than anybody else, mm. but that region is really known for its matrilineal way of mm. uh, I- including mm. ancestry and you know like inheritance. All of that is very matrilineal. And so for me as well, I really believe in the rebalancing. And I just want to add that rebalancing does not mean having to take men out of the picture, mm-hmm. right? It's not at all about Oh, thank that, goodness. Right? <laughs> yeah, and, I, and, I, and I'm, it's, it's, we, it is about the balance, yeah. right? And right now we are in a, in a place where it's imbalanced, so we need to elevate women to a point where there is balance. But it's embracing the, the, the masculinity and the femininity within mm. ourselves. Um, and only then we can. If we want to regenerate the earth. We have to start with regenerating ourselves as a community, and that's the really the importance of um, being 100 uh, percent, you know, women-led at this point.
0: Yeah, I absolutely love this. Yeah, and I'm. I, I think as I shared before the recording, I'm part Mohawk in my own personal um, ancestral uh, lineage makeup, and. That is also a matrilineal culture, and many of my friends and relatives our age, mothers and grandmothers uh, carry the responsibility of the divine feminine, and there's a grandmother's council that uh, actually uh, inspired Ben Franklin and others in the framing of this country. And Some of the functions we have even in our constitutional system as patriarchal as it has obviously been for the last 200 plus years. And yeah, here at the Why on Earth community, one of the things we've uh, done is kind of quietly planted the seeds to launch a uh, Sophia uh, Wisdom Council and Grandmother's Council. And so it doesn't have to be grandmothers per se, women. And uh, maybe we can chat a bit in our behind the scenes um, segment, which we'll record after our, our main podcast episode and distribute with our ambassador network maybe we can chat a bit about uh, recruiting you to join our uh, SOFIA council because I I, I think it's such an important in our systems design it's such an important function and I don't think there's a substitute or an analog um, that is appropriate other than having councils of women uh, ensuring certain uh, types of decision making and approaches and energetics are incorporated into any of these systems and so it really resonates with me what you're what you're describing and you know of course as a man it's like well what does that mean you know for the guys and uh, guys are in various stages of embracing their divine feminine and, and tuning into this rebalancing work yeah. and I'm, I'm curious I just want to ask for you when you're collaborating, do you find that there's a different energetic when you're collaborating with men versus women? Is that a, a sort of a generalization you would make?
1: Um, like our conflict, for example, the we of summit, or uh, like we work closely with the Earth Coast team, or we yeah, work, yeah. so there are, there is a lot of masculine uh, masculinity in part of um, our our work as well because yeah. it's not that we're only working with women mm-hmm. it's just at the leadership level
2: mm-hmm.
1: of the organization but we collaborate extensively with all genders um, and um, the idea of and that's that's why I was saying that um, I know I, I, I really see that there is this threat that men are feeling and honestly mm. it is as there are men who the men who are really embracing their own femininity are also feeling this threat, mm. because all of these accusations of patriarchy then don't sit well with people who have not been actually patriarchal. Mm. But, but the point of it is not really to exclude anybody, mm-hmm. right? We don't want, we don't want a system where we're like going from patriarchy dominance to matriarchy dominance okay. or whatever that looks like. That's not at all the idea. The idea is that everyone's part of the conversation, but we really bring the feminine as well Mm. into the conversation Mm. um and on a specific basis yeah sure i think there are differences in conversations and i wouldn't say one is better than the other it's Mm. different um but the funnest i can say the easiest is when there is balance Mm. right when Mm. there's different genders around the table, the conversations, the collaborations, all of it is just so much easier. Mm. There, is, there are so many meeting points, right, like when there's uh, different levels of masculinity and femininity from different people coming to the table, and that is really, so There's, that's where I think the collective strength of the conversation uh, really makes a difference.
0: Yeah. We're doing some collaborative work right now with the Le Ciel Foundation out of Europe, and they're very deliberate in structuring teams and cohorts and balances with men and women. And it's really interesting and quite lovely when um, it shows up in, in that way kind of in that context.
1: Yeah yeah, yeah I can, I mean I would I, I totally enjoy um, these diverse conversations. Yeah. Right? It, yeah. it makes it well first of all, it's just better for you for your own mental health to just be in more accepting sort of spaces and um, (laughs) I think bringing uh, different genders and the masculine and the feminine together is really really important because it also gives us practice right like Mm -hmm. it's really hard to go from one system to another Hmm. system and you you don't know how to behave Hmm. right. I mean sometimes you know you have to figure it out and what better way to do it than working together um, in in safe sort of cohorts like that right yeah. it's, uh, uh, and I think it's about practice as well mm-hmm. and um, you know I mean I have uh, done I have worked in ec- extraordinarily male-dominated um, fields uh, and the the difference is not about whether it's a man or a woman
2: yeah, in the room, it's yeah, about yeah.
1: what is that level of patriarchy that is entering that room. Yeah. Um, and that's where the difference in that collaboration happens, when,
0: yeah.
1: when, because, you know, women can also be patriarchal,
0: Absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. so
1: it's really about how, what are the different ways in which we can bring balance.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you, I, I really appreciate that part of our conversation and you know i i know we've been talking for a while and you've actually been recording for days a bunch of content and material and i don't want to take up too much of your time and um of course we're going to do our behind the scenes segment but i i definitely want to ask you because i would be remiss if i didn't um with respect to your architecture planning design background and expertise you're you're amazing you're a big deal and uh You've got so much to share and offer in that regard, and I'm hoping in you know, a r- relatively concise manner, you might share with us about um, your design expertise and, and how you bring to the table certain genius and insight and know-how and methodology for these various design you know, projects, if we call it that. Um, let it, tell us about that, tell us that, about that aspect of yourself.
1: Thank you, thank you for, that's really kind of you to say all that. Um, Yeah, I mean it is a big part of me and I have gone through these processes where I've distanced myself from architecture and Mm. and, you know, but then I am an architect. I can't, I can't change that, (laughs) you know, I've done that, but um, I look at it from a human settlement point of view and you know, and I've really repositioned the way I speak about it as human habitat because I think that is the missing piece. We're talking about shelter, and shelter technically means that you're in danger and you need something to protect you. And I think that's that's something to think about, right? Like, are we so removed from the planet that we're born in that we need to shelter ourselves all the time? Or are we building a habitat for ourselves? Are we? or not building are we are we joining in to create habitat for ourselves mm-hmm. right and mm-hmm. and that is my entry point into the world of uh, planning and architecture and um, design to see how how do we make our spaces more livable and it's you know when I say it it feels like a ridiculous thing to be working at like because <laughs> we are living why is it not livable but it's not we're mm. we're we've Builds spaces which are not natural.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And when I say we're not natural, it's because it's not our natural habitat. Mm-hmm. So our needs are not being met. We might think it's being met, but it's not being met. Your need for recreation is not being met. Your need for access to fresh air, access to good food, none of that is being met. Mm-hmm. And so the way in which I've worked um, is to see, look at land, because it's my work has mostly been land-based. Um, you look at land and you look at what do we need to live on this land to make this our habitat? And what do we have to give back, mm-hmm. right? So um, my projects have been anywhere between two to three acres to mm-hmm. like 10,000, 20,000. Um, or more like cities, city region scales as well. And to think of how do we bring nature, ecosystems, Mm -hmm. nature-based infrastructure back into it. And one of my favorite examples is like, um, just to sort of, it's again, simplifying it. um, But one of my favorite examples is like, we have cities which are completely concrete. Mm And then we have huge concrete sewers and stormwater drainage systems, which take all this water out. Mm. And depending on the city, it either throws it into the ocean. And when I say throw it, I'm using that word intentionally. It's just like dumped. uh, And that's our intention behind it.
2: Mm.
1: Or or it's mixing with sewage, or it's just like we don't know where where it's going. Um, And just if actually it's part of the natural system. Rain is supposed to come to the ground and and nature has has a brilliant drainage system so when I when we design you know our projects uh to do with like cities uh or neighborhoods it can just be or individual plots of land Mm -hmm. even um we just have to look at what is the natural drainage pattern right unless you're living in a lake which we often are Mm -hmm. there is no reason why the water is like flooding every time it rains. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm because nature has a drainage pattern and it has an entire system. What we need to do is figure out how we fit into it. How do we not block those natural drainage systems? Or if we have to block it, how do we create alternate pathways? So something I mean, which is it's a very con- common concept nowadays, things like swales and rainwater gardens and things like that, what it does, and that's where complexity comes into the picture. What it really does is it does the same function the, the kind of the simplified function of tracking water off our roads or off our wherever we want water out of, and you take you know allowing that space between dry and what happens to all the water. But in this process, it slows it down. It takes it back into the earth. It, it allows the, the flourishing of biodiversity in mm. that space. Therefore, it makes it livable. So we don't have to have like a dedicated park just so that there are some birds and then we have concrete sewers. If you integrate all of this and it's surprisingly easy to do it, it again comes back to mindset shift. It's significantly cheaper.
2: Mm.
1: Not when you think of it in terms of, oh, you have to rip all of this out and build huge tanks. No, that's Mm. that's again we're going back into infrastructure heavy. When you start thinking of it like, the and the benefits are not as tangible and measurable, right? Like having birds back into your immediate neighborhood, Mm -hmm. having like uh, that kind of flourishing biodiversity, which also it cleans the air. It uh, reduces noise. it just makes your environment more livable. again, mm-hmm. coming back to the idea of meeting the needs of us as human beings in our habitat. And then maybe you don't have to go so far away to have a vacation, right? You can sp- you could save that money if, if your life is not that stressful in mm-hmm. your immediate environment. Mm-hmm. So these are the ways in which um, I bring design and thought processes into it. My um, I, mean, I focus on like strategic design as well, strategic planning. And that's to say like, what's going to happen a hundred years from now? You know, we are thinking in terms of five years and 10 years, the earth is thinking in terms of thousands, if not millions of years. And how do we, okay, we don't, we don't need to, again, take the burden of thinking a million years ahead, Hmm. but can we at least think hundred years ahead, Hmm. right? And, or leave, leave room for somebody 10 years ahead to plan for the next 10 years. We don't have to make such immovable plans that ten years from now, some. So, how do we, how? So, when we, when I talk about strategic planning, and uh, that's something I bring. Like, what, what, what do we? How do we look at it as the needs of the t- needs of the day, um, transformation required for the day? How do we build into an organic system? How do we integrate into a natural system, such that the future generations also have an option of planning, mm-hmm. of adapting and there is enough abundance everywhere and uh, and i i'm not simplifying it when i say it but i really believe it's much easier than we are making it out mm-hmm, to be mm-hmm. because the, if all we, when we come in with intentionality nature meets us and then it just it just is exponential the way in which it can really grow
0: that's so exciting and inspiring thank you Nisha, and just want to remind our audience that this is the Why on Earth Community Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron William Perry. Today, we're visiting with Nisha Mary-Paulos, the Executive Director of Regenerative Rising and the founder of Woven Design Collaborative. And uh, Nisha, it's such a joy to have this opportunity to visit with you. And again, I'm so glad we could do it in person while you're here in Colorado. And um, wanted to ask just one other Question: When we we're talking about your childhood experience and uh, being in the woods and the forest, uh, and we talked prior about the Japanese concept of Shinrin-yoku, sitting in one spot forest bathing is sometimes how it's translated and observing what's going on in the forest around us. And I'm curious if you might share with us a bit of, you know, what that was like for you as a, as a kid and also like now, um what that might be like for you that's as something you intentionally connect with from time to time
1: yeah i mean and when i say this i think my parents will be like <laughs> relating and laughing the most because i used to spend all my time on top of trees growing up you know and that's how i was studying uh because i was i, I would take my book and go sit up on top of the tree and um and i was I, I was multitasking uh, in my mind because I, I could not study inside a room I mm-hmm. just could not um, and I didn't have all of this vocabulary and thankfully I had a family that just let me be
2: yeah. <laughs> and, and
1: and if this if you want to go sit on the tree and study go sit on the tree and study so but that was a big part of how I was able to in even today I cannot work in a room that has no access for nature mm-hmm. right if I have to do my productivity is very less and I, I don't think I'm unique in that. <laughs> um, but maybe I'm I, I'm very aware of that so it's something that I always uh, do uh, when I need to be creative. I I have to find a space mm-hmm. that is, um, and you know coming from, uh, I'm, com- I'm from India where it's kind of hot and the, the air conditioning is really something that's taking over the country <laughs> um, and I cannot tolerate air-conditioned spaces. Like, I can't breathe in it because all the windows are shut. Um, and the temperature is too consistent. Okay. And, and and some of these things are, I'm saying it because I've thought a lot about it. Like, why can't I sit in an air-conditioned space? Because yeah. I feel like I need that temperature variation of, you know, like, it's not one standardized temperature for, like, 16 hours. But... So these are things that I have thought a lot about what I need to be creative what I need to Mm. do well and it's really hard sometimes to find it and I think the what I wanted to share is maybe that I was living in a city for a really long time when I moved to that city it was a really green city Mm. it was a beautiful city it's still beautiful but at some point I started feeling so claustrophobic Mm. I, I was not able to function And I didn't realize why and well a series of things happened which was not really planned um and you know somehow i ended up moving from the city to a rural part of the country um which is coastal and tropical and my mind just flipped and it was i was like oh my god for 15 years i didn't have this access to nature that i did growing up And that's what's been missing in my life and I forgot that this was this was you know because I still was like seeking out spaces like I worked out of a uh, a co-working space which was not air-conditioned and it had this huge canopy of you know which is just under a canopy of a tree I actively found homes that had gardens and like in old trees and you know I did all of that but still having a little bit of wilderness Mm -hmm. makes all the difference Mm -hmm. I think i'm just like i'm still reeling like oh my god how how did i not realize that's what was going on you know so (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) yeah i can i can definitely relate to that personally (laughs) yeah thank you so much for sharing that nisha and thanks so much for being a guest on our podcast i'm so thrilled we can share a bit of you and your story and your wisdom with our audience and really look forward to uh other uh collaboration in the coming weeks and months and hopefully years
1: yeah thank you thank you aaron it was a very enjoyable conversation um and i'm just i I, i'm so grateful that you could make this happen in such a you know it was a short short time and uh, it was, I, I just really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. And absolutely, I really am excited for all the things that we can do, all the things that we can weave together and uh, for being, just—just just, I'm just grateful that we met.
0: Yep, likewise, <laughs> absolutely. Well, thanks and uh, we'll sign off and say goodbye to everybody.
3: The Why on Earth Community Stewardship and Sustainability Podcast Series is hosted by Aaron William Perry author, thought leader, and executive consultant. The podcast and video recordings are made possible by the generous support of people like you. To sign up as a daily, weekly, or monthly supporter, please visit whyonearth.org support. Support packages start at just $1 per month. The podcast series is also sponsored by several corporate and organization sponsors. You can get discounts on their products and services using the code YONEarth. all one word with a Y. These sponsors are listed on the whyonearth.org backslash support page. If you found this particular podcast episode especially insightful, informative, or inspiring, please pass it on and share it with a friend whom you think will also enjoy it. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your support. And... Thank you for being a part of the Why on Earth community.